0: I learned that you always had to have the highest level of standards of integrity for yourself in the way that you do business. Your name mattered. What you brought to the table mattered. And people needed to respect you for what you brought. I learned later in the business to question everything in a positive way to spur proper innovation. I have what it's up to now. It's built up to 67 executive lessons, I call it. So in a planner, anytime that I learn from my mistakes, or a mistake that I watch from others, or I hear something at an event, whether it's vector or non-vector, that I'm like, oh, that's really important. I write it down and try to guide my upcoming decisions and actions based on what worked well or didn't work in the past. My objective is to not let negative history repeat itself. I encourage our people to become independent learners. The success that you have in a long career, it's an accumulation of small daily decisions just applied over a long period of time.
1: One of the ways that great leaders create other leaders is by learning out loud, by gathering up the key lessons of life and sharing those lessons with others. Throughout his life and career, Chad Vordenberg has been deliberate about honoring the lessons of the past. He's meticulous in his efforts to learn, and he fosters an environment that encourages others to become independent learners themselves. Chad is thoughtful, introspective, creative, and innovative. He brings these and so many more qualities to the people under his guidance. I know you'll enjoy hearing the stories and insights of Cutco Vectors Kentucky, Ohio division manager, Chad Bordenberg. And hands on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Chad Vordenberg, the Kentucky, Ohio division manager for Cutco and Vector Marketing. Chad's time in the Vector business goes back to 2006. He was a college student at Ohio University. The Bobcats, they are right there. Uh, And he graduated in 2010 with a degree in education, became a district manager at that time, became a division manager in 2016, and is a member of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame with over $20 million in career sales production. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. All right. I've been looking forward to getting together with you and having this conversation for a while. It's going to be fun. Uh, take us back to 2006 and tell us a little bit about how you guys started with Cutco.
0: Yeah. So 2006, uh, I actually walked in on a buddy and my mom doing a demo together. It was uh, quite an unusual way to find out about the job. I just turned in actually a two-week notice to Panera Bread at the time that same day. Panera. After, <laughs> yeah, after his demo told me about the pay, told me about the experience. He said he actually liked his job and that shocked me. And uh, so I said, you know what? I got three weeks before college starts. Let me interview. And if I get it, I'll try it out and see what happens. And this was, Dan, before the age of virtual demos. There were no smartphones or apps yet. So it was, uh, I said, I'll give it two weeks and come back over a break if I love it. And, you know, part of the reason I was really attracted to the opportunities when I was growing up, I just remember being, you know, I was very observant of adults and. I knew a few people in my circle that ran their own business, and uh, I saw what that allowed in life for them. And mm-hmm. so, when I was young, when I was twelve, I started cutting lawns, started watching houses and, and animals for people, and I loved that I could do things on my own time. It paid big bucks for you know twelve to eighteen year old, and so the rep position was naturally attractive to me. Just you know, it was more structured and professional. A good way to put what I love doing into action, which is get rewarded for your time, and if you do better, you get paid more.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Very cool that uh, you came in and saw a friend doing a demo. And that's what piqued your interest in the job. And so you started, it was August then, just before you're getting ready to go off to school?
0: Correct. It was August, just a couple weeks. And uh, I was lucky enough to have the support of family. My my family had owned Cutco for 30 years at that point. So for them, it was a, hey, we'll see how you do with it. But we know it's a great product and company. But it was a, it was a two-week tryout for sure.
1: That's pretty cool. I started in August as well with the company and I went to a quarter system college. So I had about six weeks to work before school started. So it was a little bit different. It was a little more of a summer job in my case initially than just a two-week trial. But uh, it's cool to see what that two-week trial has turned into for you.
0: Yeah, it turned into, uh, hey, this thing works. I made good money. So I came back over my break, enjoyed it, got an assistant manager position, did that around college, you know, summer breaks and winter breaks, and loved it. And, you know, I was an education major, so I loved helping people. And it was so rewarding uh, just to see that my results in my work ethic had a direct impact on sales performance of others and, and the business as a whole. So I truly, truly loved it from the people perspective, the competitive side, and uh, the ability for uh, my actions to directly impact things in a positive way. And then, damn, in 2010.
1: Yeah, outstanding. What What are some of the most valuable lessons that you learned during uh, your early days with the company?
0: Oh, man, I think back to those early days, I did learn from watching others, uh, good and bad, that you always had to have the highest level of standards uh, of integrity for yourself in the way that you do business. Your name mattered, what you brought to the table mattered, and people needed to respect you for what you brought. And I learned things, you know, for my manager, you know, I learned that uh, love was spelled. T I M E, and that one of the most important parts of what we do is building relationships. Uh, You know, it's easy to quit a job, hard to quit a relationship. And when there's ups and downs in sales, that relationship really helps foster people, you know, through that, helps them make it through the ups and the downs and uh, get them moving through the challenges. So that was big for me. Other couple things that, that really stood out were. You know, I learned later in the business to question everything in a positive way to spur proper innovation. Mm -hmm. um, You know, treat people as who they can be, not who they are in the moment. We work with a lot of young college students and uh, hopefully they are learning and growing. And so when you show people, hey, here's what I believe in you and here's what I can see you doing, um, and ignore some of the things that happen in the moment or uh, help them learn and grow from those lessons, you know, I learned that uh, early on. Um, and then I think a really important lesson, especially in our position, has kind of been more of an entrepreneurial role of running your own show here. It's, you know, I learned the business is it's never going to be as good as you want it to be. And it's never as bad as it seems. Um, so find a way to be happy and that your work doesn't define you. Work was work and uh, numbers on a, on a sales report shouldn't define who you are. And that was important because I, I know as a, a young manager in the business, you can have ups and downs when it comes to good weeks, bad weeks, and uh, just you know, emotionally detaching from that, letting uh, yourself know that that doesn't have to define you.
1: Yeah, that's a very important point that you just made. I think that in vector, competition plays a big role in people's motivation. And that can be really good at times because it does force you to strive a little higher and, and it, you see these people that are achieving these great things, and you try to envision how you can do those same things and it helps you elevate your game for sure. But also, it can be bad in that the competitive arena in Vector is literally brutal. I mean, there are so many incredible achievers here in this company that, you know, if you measure yourself constantly by the numbers that are being achieved, that can have a negative impact on people. This is not to say that we shouldn't be results-oriented, because I do think we should. I think we should set goals and try to achieve goals. But it's more important for us to be achieving our own goals and our own standards than it is to necessarily be competing with somebody else. What you said about the business is never as good as you want it to be. And it's also never as bad as it might seem. That was a pretty interesting point. right? And you know, it, when you think about the way that we all view trying to be successful... Even when we're achieving at a high level, it's easy just to see like oh, I could be doing more here, I could be doing more there, and you know it's not, like you said, it's never as good as you want it to be, but then also even in those challenging times, for us here in vector, we're pretty blessed to have a great opportunity that uh even in the challenging times, we're still in a lot better shape than most people are, you know in what they're doing so
0: yeah, that's for sure and if I were speaking to a young manager I'd say, you know, the success that you have in a long career it's just an accumulation of small daily decisions just applied over a long period of time. So, if you know you're doing the right thing by you and your people, then you can feel good about where your business is and where it's going, I believe.
1: Yeah. I like what you also said about treating people as they can be and understanding that we work with a lot of young people here in Vector and young people, by definition, are learning at a very rapid clip, and they're evolving at a very rapid clip. And a lot of the people that we work with are gonna make mistakes, they're gonna do something wrong, they're gonna say something dumb from time to time, they're gonna do stuff like that, that we, I think our job is to help them evolve past that. In sort of the uh, cancel culture that exists today, I feel like there's a, a, people have a short fuse For other people making a mistake. And I don't know that that necessarily that sort of a short fuse works in a business like ours. I think that instead of pushing problems off to somebody else, our job is to take somebody and help them evolve, help them, you know, to learn and to become better as we're working with them. And that's a key part of what we do as leaders in Vector. For sure. 100% agree. Yeah. What, uh, Chad, were some of the most important experiences that have helped shape your career?
0: Well, when I think back, uh, most of its relationships, most of its people that didn't need to, uh, taking you under their wing, teaching you some things about business, life, finances, and, uh, those relationships that, you know, I leveraged to help me get better in the position or make it through tough times personally, professionally as a manager. You know, I was also fortunate enough to be a part of a few task forces when we had those task forces created five, six years back, and I got to be surrounded by people that were really successful in our business has been around a long time. So I, I was on the new business development task force with Mar DeVay and that whole crew on the PR task force with uh, Mike Muriel and Scott Dennis leading that. And so for me as an innovator on the core value index, uh, that really kept me engaged. But not only did it keep me engaged, it allowed me to be around top performers and learn from them and see what that those small decisions applied over a long time could really lead to not just in business success, but in the lifestyle that you got to maintain around having the success as a business person and, and being a good father, being a good husband. You know, having hobbies and passions you could actually pursue and not postpone until uh, retirement. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to be exposed to people that were a little higher up in business. I feel very fortunate for that, and that was big. And I think there's there's two moments I think that really you know, defined as a vector is a place that I would really want to be. They both happened to be on um, conference talks. So we had professional business conferences. And one of them, she was a high flying district manager at the time. And I had just returned from my first time abroad, internationally alone, you know, on my own. And uh, she was going through, you know, an opportunity message and talked about her travel. And it was like something crazy, like 13 countries that year. And her business was still, you know, getting better and better year in year out, even with that travel, with that lifestyle. And I said, you know what? That's something I want. I want the opportunity uh, to be able to take trips, to travel, to spend time with family, raise kids, and still have a successful business. And then I think when you know the second one that stands out, we were at a, a conference in Niagara Falls before uh, we went to Olean, New York, to visit the factory. And at the time, a veteran uh, D.M. D.V.M who had been with the company for many, many years, I remember he was giving a financial opportunity message. And he said, look, I do not need to work another day in my life. My investments pay me over $1,000 a day. And that struck me as a place where, hey, if I put the time in, the work, I'll be financially secure and be in a position where I can take care of myself and my family. And I think those two things, I had just been attracted to travel when I heard the travel message. I was a young person trying to save for, you know, vacations, weddings, a house and those types of things. And I was like, you know what? I, I can make this work here. And so those were powerful for me just to see and learn from the path of the many people who have paved the way for us to have what we have today in Vector. Yeah. Who were those speakers? Uh, one was uh, Kathy Kristen, and the other one was Rich Plaskin.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I, I Obviously, they've both been guests here. On the podcast. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, your two of your most transformational experiences were being at an event and hearing a speaker. Had you not gone to that event, it could literally have altered the course of your life, right? You were there. Had you not been engaged in those messages, it could literally have altered the course of your life in a, in a different way. And I just think it speaks to the power of learning experiences. And it speaks to being engaged in what we're doing all the time, particularly when we're having a learning experience, really trying to get the most out of it because you know you were there, you were engaged, you heard from Kathy, you heard from Rich. Those two experiences really got into your head and have altered the trajectory of where you've gone and, and really had a profound effect on your passions and your interests and your skills in life.
0: Yeah, for sure. Timing is everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you referenced at the outset that relationships have been a key part of your experiences that have shaped your career.
0: Are there key mentors that you've worked with that stand out for you? For sure. You know, my original district manager, she's no longer in the business, but she was kind of a rock for me. You know, as I was a college student going through the ups and downs of life in college, um, I know, I was able to talk to her as a key mentor. And, you know, she, I had seen, she was kind of, I guess, four or five years ahead of me in life. And had shown, I had seen what she had done, uh, not just with the company, but even studying abroad. She, you know, encouraged me to take that, that uh, leap of faith and go do that as well. And that was game changer. because that's how I met my wife. So <laughs> thank you, Corey, for that. And uh, I, I think Dave Powders, for sure. He was my original division manager uh, when we were the Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio division. And uh, Dave was there to, you know, just show me the way in business, um, discuss things in life, and learned a lot about finance from him as well. And so, you know, I've always appreciated that in Vector, you know, people give back. They want to help others succeed and they're there for you when you need them most sometimes. And I don't think you can say that about a ton of businesses.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, I know that you are translating all of these experiences and lessons to the people you work with. And, you know, you're doing a great job in developing a lot of other young, talented people. Um, How how do you translate these experiences and lessons in in your work with others?
0: I tried to repeat the same things uh, that were done for me, for them, that being there, building a relationship, being someone that they can come to and, and you know, not be someone to judge them, but to support them and to help them through the path uh, that is being a district manager um, in business and in life. You know, I've always, you know, you work with all different types of people. So you look at our team now and everybody's a little different and they appreciate different things. So one thing I've always tried to do is treat others equally by treating them different. You got to manage to each other's strengths and uh, to be there to point them in the right direction most of the time. You know, we have one of the things as an education major that I learned in in school was, you know, as an education major a lot of your time was just spent on inspiring students to become independent learners. And I think that's so important nowadays not just to, you know, go with what you're told but say, "Hey, let me learn on my own, let me find a way." So I encourage our people by saying, hey, here are the facts of where we've been. Here's the reality of where we are. And here's where we'd like to go. What do we think is the best opportunity there? And I think giving them the space to be a part of that growth, to be a part of the decisions for the future. Our team is great. And they've led us in the right direction. We just had our best year ever in the KOD. And uh, we're pacing well ahead of that for this coming year as well. So I think creating independent learners as district managers, because as a division manager, while you want to be there to hold their hand at every moment, just like as a parent, you wish you could be there for every moment for your child. They do have to learn on their own. And so I think creating a path that allows them to make smart decisions without having to always consult you as the division manager, that's been very important as well.
1: Yeah. What does that look like on your team, creating a path for people to make their own decisions and to... You know, learn through their own experiences, that sort of independent learner concept that you shared. you know how does that manifest in your office or in your division?
0: A lot of it's question asking. It's we get together a couple times a week and we say, "Hey, here's where we are, here's where we want to be." and um, And you know with so much that changes nowadays in the business world, we are constantly reevaluating our programs and making sure that we're doing what we believe in, uh, what we have confidence in and what works. And so I think my role is just to educate them on the path of innovation, the path of what creates results in our business, and then listen to what they have to say. And you know, we just guide the conversation. And I'm lucky to work with people that are willing to innovate. I'm in our Kentucky Ohio division, people that are willing to say, "Hey, this is how we've done it, but might not be how we do it in the future." And I'm willing to change and adapt. And They've been a speedboat, you know, instead of an aircraft carrier, they've been able to switch and change directions on a dime instead of a couple degrees at a time. And it's been really awesome to be surrounded by great individuals and that have allowed our division and to do that. it, It paves the way for the branch managers and the new people developing with us.
1: Yeah. And everybody really feels like they're a part of the process of building the organization, they're a part of designing the future of the team. And and when people feel that way, they're way more likely to be retained, they feel more ownership in the organization. And there's so many good things that come out of fostering that sort of an environment. So it's very cool that you're doing that. Now you also mentioned that Rich Plaskin Dave Powders were instrumental in influencing you financially. Is that something that you translate over to your people as well, working with them on finances?
0: it is for sure you know when someone gets into our leadership academy we try to make you know money lessons a weekly portion of that uh because it's so important right a true passion of mine is teaching people what i know about finances and i'm not the i'm not the the expert in but i have read a lot and i have experienced a lot with it and you know everything i learned came from inspiration from people within vector whether here or not uh any longer and then uh, you know, they really inspired me to read, learn more about myself so I could make informed decisions. So, you know, when I first started learning about finances, which I came from a family that didn't talk about it, came from a school that didn't teach it. And I just, I read, I read, I read. And then I, um, used that as a base knowledge for fundamental principles that I wanted uh, to have for myself going through life. I, I learned very very early if you can manage hundreds, you can manage thousands. If you can manage thousands, you can manage tens of thousands, turn to hundred thousand, you know, and and beyond, right? And uh, so I think that that was really helpful. Um, you know, social media wise in this day and age, I try to follow accounts that uh, promote saving, investing, building a business because you are who you surround yourself with, right? And a lot of times, social media is what we surround ourselves, especially in quarantine. And so it's uh, good to have those influences. And so. What we try to do is we look at it, and the reality is that uh, schools don't teach it. Families don't talk about it in most cases. so we like to teach the basics of a rainy day fund, an HSA, what the importance is there um, Roth IRAs delayed gratification. You know I love talking about what one hundred dollars saved today could turn into in 30 years with compound interest. So is that really something you want to spend a hundred bucks on, uh, or would you rather have that two three grand later down the road, depending on how many years? You have to invest, and so we try to kind of reverse the idea that it's taboo to talk about money because people need to know, and, and they don't get that education. And so many people don't learn until they've experienced something that either sets them back or they wish they would have started ten years earlier doing something. So we love that that our people get to save a lot. Uh, you know, we're we're known for that in our KOD. Our, our managers do save quite a bit, and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the way we like to spread the financial knowledge around our Kentucky Ohio division.
1: Yeah, I love that you're working on that actively with your people. If you were to ask a group of 20-year-olds about some of their life goals, you're gonna hear a lot of them who will say things like, well, I wanna make X dollars, or I wanna own my own home, or things that are directly related to making and accumulating money. And uh, you said it's taboo to talk about, and yet it's, it should be one of the most important things as a vector manager that we have in our curriculum for working with our people. I love that you said you, you teach money lessons weekly at your TLA. These don't have to be detailed concepts that you, know, you, you dive into for a long period of time. It could be a short little article you read or a post somebody made or just something that was cool that stood out that week that you can share with people that helps them accumulate their list of all of these great lessons that they can take and and learn and then eventually implement and share with others.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, Dan, there was a time, I remember when I was a young DM and started having some success. And from a financial perspective, there was a, a good chunk to save and invest. And I remember at that time, I held all my money in a prominent bank that's a national bank. And I remember at that point, I had read a bunch of books. I had learned about fees and commissions and all those things that go along with investing. And I remember going into that bank and I remember going in, acting unaware, dressing down a little bit and just asked the, the guy and I said, Hey, what do I do with all this money? He began to tell me about this fund and that and guaranteed returns of 17% and all these things. I was like, oh, that's not true. And so I took all my money out of that bank that same day and then uh, took it into, <laughs> under my own control at that point. But that's a story that I think a lot of people, they just, This guy is supposed to know what he's talking about, so I'm going to go with him. And then they, 10, 20 years down the road, realize they've been getting up 3% of returns to somebody they didn't want to give it to. And uh, so I've I've always tried to take control uh, of my own finances through a point of spending a lot of time. Now it's not reading books, it's reading financial articles and boring stuff like uh, what the Fed's doing with interest rates on a daily basis.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you have particular resources that you frequently recommend to the young people you work with?
0: I do. Um, there's a man named Ramit Sethi who wrote a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And I think it's one of the better personal finance books out there. Um, you know, There is a subscription to uh, an investing article called Barron. So if someone wants to spend a little money, 15 bucks a month, I believe there. There's a great um, free resource called Investopedia uh, where you can sign up for their term of the day. And uh, I had no idea what half these terms were in my email every time I got them. But over the course of reading them daily for five minutes or less, usually a minute probably, I began to develop a financial prowess, if you will.
1: Excellent. I really like that. You know, at the beginning of this uh, this little section where I was asking you about teaching others, uh, you talked about repeating the cycle that happened for you. All of the lessons that were taught for you, you're trying to now teach those to other people. And one of the most important things I think people can be doing as they're learning in life is making sure that they take time to gather up the lessons that they learn. Just the mere act of keeping a journal of key lessons or writing about things you're learning, that process helps people to internalize those lessons so that they you know, really, really have them inside of them to share with other people. What happens if we don't, take time to really gather up the lessons is they kind of go in and you remember for a while. And then, you know, one day you like make a mistake at something and you're like, Oh, you know, I remember when somebody taught me that I can't believe I did that just now. And we don't internalize the lessons. You know, do you have a process for making sure that you're internalizing the key ideas or concepts that are coming your way on a regular basis?
0: For sure. it's uh, Actually, I looked this morning and uh, I have what it's up to now. It's built up to 67 executive lessons, I call it. So in a planner, anytime that I learn from my mistakes or a mistake that I watch from others, or I hear something in an event, uh, whether it's vector or non-vector, and um, then I'm like, oh, that's really important. I write it down. And I've got a, an ongoing lesson. I rewrite it, handwrite it every single year when I'm doing my you know, planning sessions, I just browse over it, make sure I'm honoring the lessons of the past. I think sometimes something works so well, you stop doing it because uh, you forgot about it. And my objective is to not let negative history repeat itself. And so those lessons were tough. I learned a lot. I didn't want, you know, I wanted to keep that moving forward. And so I wish I would have started this back in 2010. I think I probably started near 2015-ish. But it's something that was uh, that I look at uh, every single week and month for sure and uh, try to guide my upcoming decisions and actions based on what worked well or didn't work in the past.
1: That was brilliant. I love that, Chad. The idea of keeping your list of executive lessons. e of 67 of them. I would love to see the list. I'd love to put it in the show notes for people that want to check out your list of 67 executive lessons. I think that would be an awesome thing to share with our audience. Putting them in your planner is a great way to do this. I I do the same thing. I still keep a paper calendar to this day. It's a monthly one. So it's not too overwhelming with with the level of its detail. I keep my daily stuff on my computer or my phone. But I keep a monthly planner. And as I'm going through an experience, I remember to myself, you know what? I need to make sure we do this. There was one lesson that I just had in regards to managing my region that I realized, oh, you know, in the middle of February, I realized I should have done this right at the beginning of February. And I wrote into my planner the lesson so that I remember it so that as I'm reviewing my planner at the end of the year and my lessons, I can remember that and I can implement next February to make sure that I handle that better. Those sorts of things I think are really important for us to do so that, as you said, we don't let negative history repeat itself And on the flip side of that, we're more likely to continue to repeat all of the positive lessons that we've learned um, so that we achieve a greater and greater level of success as we proceed and as we evolve in the business and in life. For sure. Yeah. That was just a great insight there about the executive lessons. I love that. Chad, what do you feel like are some of your core philosophies as a leader or in life in general?
0: Yeah, there's uh there's really two that, that come to mind for me. Um, the first one, it's uh, from the author of, of a book called The World of Three Zeros, uh, Muhammad Yunus. He's the founder of Gramian Bank, Microcredit. He's a Nobel laureate and or Nobel Peace Prize winner, and also I think he won a couple presidential medals of honor as well. And he talks in his book about from the very beginning of time. You know, humans were hunters-gatherers, they were creators, they went out and got what they wanted. You know, to the industrial age of innovation to now, where everybody, you know, can create a side gig, you know, a side hustle of something they're good at. The idea that, you know, you can create for yourself. You can create for the future of yourself. You can create for the future of others. Um, and you know, there's a quote that I saw at one point. Um, I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a quick story of the CEO shows up to work in a new Ferrari. Employees say, Oh, that's a really nice car. He says, yeah, if you work really hard, uh, put all your time in, sacrifice your blood, sweat, and tears for this company, I'll get a new one next year too. And uh, for me, it was always like, I want to be working towards something that I feel like I'm growing, developing my future, creating, doing something that will impact others and not just putting in time for money. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that philosophy, You know, Muhammad used in his book, it's a very long quote, but essentially it's people are born to be creators and be entrepreneurs, not work for another entrepreneur. And uh, there's great detail in there, but I really like. I, I've tried to follow that. You know, I grew up in a family business uh, for all the goods and bads that came with it. I, I got to see those and learn from those from a young age. And but I knew that, you know, if you're taking control of your destiny, um, then you're going to be in a position to uh, do the things you want in life and not have to put those things off or kick the bucket down the road to retirement or anything like that. And so I think that's a, a really big philosophy for me, for sure.
1: And I like that one, Chad, that people are born to be creators. I think that any young person coming up the ranks in Vector can really be attracted to that element of being able to put their own spin on an organization to be able to run their team in the way that they want and the, their, their own image to bring the ideas and concepts and mantras that they want to spread to people and that, you know, they're building something that's in the image of their own self. And yeah, that's a really powerful part of what we do. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. So that's one. I think the second one was kind of just you know, there's a quote out there that says, we have two lives, the second one starts when you realize you only have one. And I remember hearing that and I was like, whoa, a lot of times people, you know, what, no matter what you believe, you're probably on this earth once and they say, oh, this will eventually happen or, or I'll do this later or that gets kicked down the road as well to when they might have more time. And what I found is that for me, you know, you have two paths in life, either a path where you choose what you do or someone else chooses for you. And so I always wanted to be in a position of choice, you know, to honor the things that I love, the way I wanted to live, you know, friends, family, travel, cycling, whatever it is, and uh, ignoring the things that don't fulfill me and the things that matter. Um, So that I think that's another philosophy too.
1: I love that one. So the quote was that we all have two lives. The second one begins when we realize we only have one. There it is. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty powerful to think about what that means. uh, I just think about the idea of just living life with intentionality, right? When you realize you only have one, (laughs) right? It uh, It changes the game. What does it look like for you, Chad, to be
0: living your life in an intentional way? For me, it's I wake up. I get to spend time with my children, uh, Nina and Leon, two and six months tomorrow, and uh, spend time with my wife, go to work, and then be intentional about work, you know, is put the time in where it matters and let my time be efficient and then have time to do things I love. I think that's part of it, you know, from a young age and having a father who was able to coach football, baseball, basketball, and the sports growing up. I knew I wanted that. So being intentional that, you know, I could create the space, the time, and the flexibility. I learned more about traveling as I got into college. And as far as I wasn't really experienced, you know, we didn't take family vacations when I was growing up. So once I got that travel bug, I knew I wanted to keep that too. And yeah. not just give up, you know, whatever, 10, 15 days a year that's typical in, in corporate America. I wanted to be able to leave for 10 or 15 days at a time and take some really awesome trips, which we've fortunately been able to do over the last decade In so I think that's where I get intentional is the time with the family, the time with my friends, traveling with friends and traveling with family, and then being able to you know, pursue passions and hobbies that I like.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the traveling part, Chad, because it's something that interests me a whole lot. What have been some of your most uh, memorable trips?
0: You know, Claire, my wife, and I were talking about this earlier today. And the way we travel, I'm not sure if this is the goal of many, but we try to, um, how would I say it? exploring uncertainty when you travel. Uh, So we usually go to a place. Claire's actually, she is fantastic at picking like the destination, but we don't really plan much more than that. Uh, We don't plan for a fancy or great hotel or whatever. We're okay staying wherever because we're not even in the hotel most of the time. So our best experiences have come from, there's an island in Thailand, uh, I believe it's Koh Tao. There's national park on it. And we were backpacking through Thailand and we, we didn't have a reservation anywhere. And we just rented the scooter as you do in Thailand and we started driving and we stopped at one place. And said, okay, they're full, second, third, fourth, full, full. We got to about six or seven places deep and we stumbled upon what you would see as like a rainforest going into the beach, going into the ocean in these huts that were on stilts. And the owner was amazing. He was so friendly. He said, "I got a room for you." And the brilliant thing about Thailand is probably twelve bucks a night. And <laughs> uh, they they set up tables on the beach for us for dinners. They made the best like Thai pancakes. Um, they, you know, those types of experiences where it's like, hey, let's just see what happens. And what I found through travel is people all across the world are so generous, so nice, so helpful. You know, we we got stranded by missing a bus in Panama once and we were going to a little place called Playa Venal which at the time was uh, prior to a vector trip we were going for about 4 or 5 days and we had a reservation at a hostel well first off the story was crazy is i was sitting on a bus on a in a bus on a bucket with a parrot next to me and it, it was a crazy trip on how we got to where we got to but we were stranded in the middle of this town probably 30 40 miles from where we needed to be and some stranger just said hey if you pay me a little bit, I'll drive you in the pitch black night. And then we arrived and unharmed, obviously, and woke up the next morning and saw the beach for the first time. It was a pristine, beautiful, desolate beach. And I, I'm sure there's plenty of hotels there now. So those were great. And we came, came out by Udan for a trip for uh, it's called the Lost Coast Trail. It's uh, Northern California. Um, you know the, I think there's like 26 miles where Highway One doesn't go along the coast because it was too rugged to build. You're supposed to hike along the beach, and we had everything prepared. You had to know tide charts because you could drown if you didn't. Right. Know. right. I know this. Yep, And the, the day we arrived, uh, there was a tropical storm with 40-foot waves. It washed out tons of in, in like 100mile winds. It was crazy. California hadn't experienced something like that in forever. And, uh, we couldn't do it. So, you know, again, we relied on locals and said, Hey, what do you guys recommend? We found this great trip through the mountains, did eventually get a couple nights on the beach, but I found that the unplanned travel is usually the best when, when you have un- unintended outcomes or experiences. That's what we've loved the most uh, with yeah. travel. That's so cool.
1: Are there any places that are, uh, in your future plans right now that you're thinking about?
0: Everywhere. man. <laughs> it's, Always, especially in quarantine. You know, my wife and I have planned probably 30 trips that we can't go on. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, definitely looking forward to the New Zealand-Australia Vector trip coming up. Uh, but there, there's, there's a couple destinations we, we'd like to get to uh, as a family. You know, Patagonia in South America and some, you know, backpacking, hiking out there. For me, as a, as a selfish cyclist, I, I obviously want to go to France and Italy for a cycling-only trip. Um, not the Alps, that's a little too much, but it's uh, there's always things on the bucket list there. Yeah, you don't want to ride the the Alp Duez? No, that's uh, a little intimidating when you see the pros have to walk their bike up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that's so funny. I want to cycle back to one thing that we've uh, that we've talked about a little bit here. You referenced your CVI, you're an innovator. Mm -hmm. in CVI? Is that your, that's your highest score in the Core Values Index? That is the leader. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you have definitely pioneered a lot of different programs for your division, for your region, for the company. You, you, you mentioned being part of the task forces. What's your mindset around innovation and change and a lot of the things that have happened for Vector here over the past year?
0: Yeah. You know, I think Drew Frank said a long time ago, question everything in a positive way. And that's what I've always tried to do. And I feel like this last year of, of COVID, of pivoting in person to virtual, we've, as a company, have done a great job, the leaders, the presidents, everybody from the top down of probably cramming 10 years of innovation into nine months, uh, is what I've seen. And, uh, I've always appreciated that we've had the opportunity to do that, whether that's transitioning from receptionists and texting and tech centers that, you know, we tried to do back in the day and, uh, or the social media recruiting, the things that we've really, that have changed the game. We've tried to be on the forefront of that and not miss out because I believe in innovation. I believe it's adapt or die, especially in the business world. And uh, I just feel lucky to be a part of a place that accepts it and supports it. And when there is a good idea, uh, the whole company runs with it and they share and they help and they put all resources uh, they can into that idea uh, to get it to everybody. So that's what I've loved about the opportunity to innovate constantly in our business.
1: Yeah. And you foster this in your people through the question asking sort of conversation leading strategy or philosophy that you were talking about earlier?
0: Of course, sure. You know, as an innovator, it's always about interrogating, questioning, and asking interrogating the program, the ideas. And uh, I think our people have done a great job. If my 15 years here, I'm able to provide some input of what has worked and what has not worked in the past um, and say, hey, we can learn some lessons from that. Here's where we are. Here's where we need to be. What do we think is the best idea? It's kind of nice to say, let's forget everything we know. And how would we do this now in the current climate? And I think that's what we've done a really good job of. In our division, is hey, just because it's been done that way doesn't mean it needs to continue to be done that way. Because I think you can get into a very, very troubled position if it's the way it was, is the way it has to be, especially in the business world with with changing everything in COVID.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, your 15 years in the vector business have been great ones, Chad. You've accomplished a whole lot of really cool things. And I think everybody that knows you would say the best is yet to come, like there's going to be great excitement in the years ahead as we uh, wind this down i'm I'm wondering what you're most excited about as you look into the future.
0: You know, I'm excited as we look into the vector future uh, about what we're going to do this year as a company, obviously in our division and our pilot office, because last year we we came home from a company trip, and COVID was a thing. and we said, "Whoa, okay, let's completely change everything now." We've got a year's worth of lessons, and we have time to plan for what's going to happen. So I think these next eight months uh, in vector marketing will probably permanently redefine our business. And you know, that innovation that happened in just one year. You know, we scrambled to figure out how to pivot at first. We did it successfully. And this year we have the advantage of planning how to maximize in the current climate our business for our, our, our people and our customers. So, I think that's my my view of the future, some really exciting things, and our business looks nothing like it did fifteen years ago, and that's a positive thing in my opinion and uh I'd say, as far as looking at the future with family things are they're exciting in our household with a toddler, you know as a parent, it's hard to explain to someone who's not, but even the little thing that your child does and learns on a daily basis, that's like you winning. Like the biggest cycling race you can win, right <laughs> it, just, it feels so massive to watch your children grow, develop as their speech develops, as cognitive abilities develop, you know that's where my children are right now, so it's just so fun and uh to see them growing day by day and to think about what their future holds as well
1: yeah it it certainly is the most rewarding experience you know when you invest your life into the life of uh, your own flesh and blood and you can see them developing and evolving and the, the little tiny successes that happen. They're all so cool. And it's, a, it's just a great, great experience.
0: It is for sure. And we're looking forward to continued growth, business and personal.
1: Yeah. Well, Chad, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed getting some time with you here today. I feel like you've offered a lot of great ideas and uh, things that people can take to heart. And I appreciate you making time and being a guest on the podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. All right, Chad Bordenberg. Everyone,
1: I really enjoyed that, and uh, I like that Chad from very early on in his life knew that he wanted to run a business. Right, his family ran a business, and he knew that that entrepreneurial side of things is where he wanted to take things in his life. There's a lot of advantages to what we do in Vector as entrepreneurs, and for any of you who have that opportunity outside of Vector. Of course, it's a really positive path to take. The two moments for Chad were both messages he heard, one from Kathy Kristen about gravel and one from Rich Flaskin about financial well-being. And when we think about why we're working, why we want to have our business be successful, a big part is so that we can experience the things in life that we want to experience. And traveling is one of the greatest things that we can experience. And of course, having the financial wherewithal to be able to have choices in our life and to be able to be comfortable and have choices for our family as well are all important parts of what we do. And those are some of the most important lessons to learn. I love how Chad is internalizing the lessons of his life, the list of executive lessons that he has that he uh, discussed thought that was a great concept i really also enjoyed the quote that chad referenced about the two lives right that uh, we all have two lives and the second one begins when we realize that we only have one when that day comes that you truly realize that there is just one life and you start to live with intentionality every single day making sure that you're doing the things that are most important to you and making sure that you stop doing the things you realize aren't important in your long-term, aren't a part of your long-term vision. You're investing your time wisely. It's just such a valuable concept to think about. I wanna recommend two resources here before I wrap this up today. In podcast episode number 54 I interviewed an old friend of mine named Jamie Bianchini. And Jamie took an eight-year, 80-country bicycle trip around the world on a custom tandem bike where he would invite total strangers to ride on the bike with him for as long as they wanted to. And he rode all through the entire world over these eight years. And there were people who stayed on the bike for a few minutes. There are people who stayed on the bike for a few hours. There are people who stayed on the bike for a few days. And there were literally some who stayed on the bike for several weeks, touring him through their country, giving him places to stay, etc. He talks about it in the podcast episode. There's also a lot of cool videos of him online. Uh, telling the stories, and he wrote a book about it called A Bicycle Built for Two Billion, which is one of the most interesting books that I've had a chance to read over the last 10 years or so. I would highly recommend checking out Jamie Bianchini and checking out episode 54 of the podcast. Chad also referenced uh, the Core Values Index and that he scores as an innovator on the Core Values Index. This is a personality assessment that is extremely reliable And it's also very helpful to learn about yourself and to learn about the people who you work with. I have arranged for listeners of this podcast to get a free CVI assessment. If you go visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals, you can access the website to get your free CVI assessment there. You can also check out other sponsors of the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Chad Vordenberg. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.